Amen. Amen. Like I said before, we are going to be continuing our message series in Revelation. And to be honest, the last few weeks have been pretty heavy. And so we're going to kind of change things up a little bit and start with a game. You, you okay with that? Awesome. Okay. So the game is called Pop Song or Psalm. Okay. And so what we're going to do is, is I'm going to put a lyric up on the screen, and you're going to decide quietly in your minds whether it's a pop song or a psalm lyric, okay? And so you have to keep your own score, and um, everybody's going to win, so it's fine, okay? And so we're going to play the game here. Are you guys ready? Awesome. So here's the lyric. My sunrise on the darkest day. Is it a pop song or is it a psalm? You guys ready? All right, awesome. It's a pop song, all right? That's from Despacito by Bieber, okay? So let's go to the next one. So maybe, remember, keep your own score, okay? So you're either at zero or one, 50-50 shot. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, a close friend. Ooh, this one's a little tricky, right? Psalm or pop song? Let's see what it is. Psalm 55:13. Hopefully you knew that. Maybe you knew that. Who knows? All right? So, remember, keep track of your score. They swarmed around me like bees. All right. Where are we getting with this one? Okay. Pop song or psalm? Got it in your minds? Awesome. Psalm 118:12. Who got that right? Okay. Some of you guys. Yeah, it's awesome. There you go. Good job. All right. Here we go. Next one. And there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark. Okay. If you're like me, I'm singing it in my mind. It's a pop song. Alessia Cara, Scars to Your Beautiful. Pretty cool song. All right. Awesome. And then one more. Actually, there's two more. I've forgiven it all. You set me free. Set me free. Psalm or pop song? The good old Adele. Send my love, right? Send my love. Uh-oh. Some of you, that got to some of you, okay? Uh, last one. Here we go. The night will shine like the day. The night will shine like the day. Pop song or psalm. This is a psalm, Psalm 139, 12. Listen, the reason we were doing this is because, for two reasons, okay? If you are in this room and you knew more of the pop songs than the psalm, the, it's great. I'm glad you're here today. Through Revelation chapter 10, which is where we're going to be today, I hope you are challenged to view Scripture and view the Bible a little bit differently and be a little more challenged by it to take it for what it's worth, okay? And if you're also sitting here today and you knew more of the Psalms than the pop songs and you, you, you did really good, I'm glad you're here today as well because I hope through Revelation chapter 10 that you will be challenged to apply what you know to your life. Because that's what scripture is all about. And that's what we're going to be talking about today because that's what Revelation 10 talks about. Scripture is all about not just knowing it in our minds and in our thoughts, but allowing it to transform us, allowing it to literally change the way we live in life. Okay, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about scripture going through Revelation chapter 10. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, knowing about things Knowing what they are, being able to identify them and say them, does not mean we actually believe them. When we truly believe what we profess, we are set to act as if it were true. So when we truly believe what we profess, we are set to then act 
as if it were true. Acting as if things are true means in turn that we live as if they were so. And so listen, we can have the Bible memorized, we can have all the scripture references, but it means nothing if we are not living as if it were so. Much like that first song we sang, the idea that the battle belongs to God, that comes straight from Scripture. And so I asked you the question is, if you believe it, then why aren't you giving your battles to God? And so we today are going to continue in Revelation, and we're going to be shown that we need to allow God's Word to shape us and change us from the inside out, from the inside out. So if you have a Bible with you, go to Revelation 10, all right? And we're going to be there the whole time today, Revelation 10, and we're going to be looking through almost the whole thing. And so kind of let's, let's just jump into Revelation 10, 1 through 3. It says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered." And so John, again, continues in this theme of seeing these visions. And so this vision is a mighty angel coming down from heaven. And so remember, angels are messengers of God. And so when you read scripture, angels come, they always have a message to share. And so this gigantic angel comes down sharing a message for John. What's interesting here is that this angel is the most this descriptive angel we find in all of scripture, okay? So when angels come in the Bible, they're not really described as much as this one is in Revelation chapter 10, which means that we probably should look at why John describes it the way he does. And so the first thing, like I said, the angel is mighty. The angel is mighty. This means that the angel was probably both majestic and absolutely mammoth. Just this massive, massive, gigantic angel coming down in all of its majesty. Second, this majestic mammoth angel was surrounded by a cloud. The cloud here represents glory, majesty, power, and judgment. If you've read Exodus, we see when God goes to Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai is wrapped in this cloud. This is called the Shekinah glory cloud. In the New Testament, we see when Jesus is transfigured, there's a cloud that comes in. It's the same thing, this glory cloud. And this cloud brings with the the idea of glory and also judgment. But where there's judgment, there's always mercy as well. You see, before I move on to the next part of this angel, a lot of times many people want to view God as one thing. And so some of you in this room have grown up to just kind of picture God as a a judge. And you think God is just kind of smiting us for what we've done in life. You see, God is our judge. He's just. He is worthy to be our judge, plain and simple. But where there is judgment, there is always mercy. 
These two things go hand in hand, and we actually see this with this angel. He comes with a cloud surrounded by this idea of judgment, but also we read that there was a rainbow over its head. If you were here for Revelation chapter 4, we saw the same thing in the throne room of God. We see the throne, which is judgment, and then we also see an emerald rainbow around the throne, which is mercy. And here we see the same thing. We see a cloud, which brings the idea of judgment, and we also see a rainbow over its head, which brings with it the idea of faithfulness, and mercy. Listen, you cannot just see God as a loving, merciful God. He is. He's also just, and he's our judge, right? And you cannot see God just as our judge. You also have to see him as a merciful, faithful God at the same time. It's like a coin. They go together. You can't separate the two. And so where there's judgment, there's mercy. Where there's mercy, there is judgment. And listen, God is just, and he's the justifier which means he has that ability. And so we see a rainbow over its head. The next thing he talks about is this angel's face shone like the sun. His face was brilliant and radiant because he had just been in the presence of God. Much like, again, in Exodus, when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai being in the cloud, guess what happens? His face shone like the sun. And then again in the New Testament, Jesus was transfigured, and then they see him, and guess what? His face shone like the sun. So when people are in the presence of God, guess what? They, their face, literally, they reflect the presence of the Lord. They reflect the one whom they were just with. And so his face shone like the sun. And then the last thing we want to highlight is his legs were like fiery pillars, kind of how I feel after I work out, just, just on fire, No, his legs were these fiery pillars which represent stability and holiness. And so listen, this majestic mammoth riding on a cloud, rainbow over its head, face shining like the sun with legs of fiery angel comes down, but that's not all we're told. We're also told he's holding something in his right hand. He's holding a little or small scroll. That word scroll here is used four times in Revelation chapter 10, and it always, in all four instances, refers to the word of God or God's word. And it's this little scroll that ends up taking center stage of this entire chapter, this entire interlude between all of the trumpets that are happening. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time really focusing on is this little scroll and what's going on with it. And so let's continue in Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again. By the way, before, before this, we skipped a few verses. Before this, the angel speaks to John about the seventh trumpet, and then he goes into this, okay? But we didn't have time to focus on that, all of that, all right? So then the voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. First, just side note for you, isn't it amazing to see God's grace, the fact that he would even give us the scroll? The fact that he would even give us his word? Like, the fact that he doesn't just kind of leave us out to dry in life? He didn't just create us and say, hey, I'm going to send you a savior, but you got to figure it out on your own. No, he actually speaks to us. He talks to us. By his grace, he gave us this scroll to read and to do what John's about to do, okay? So that's a big side note. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. And the angel said, yes, take it and eat it, he said. 
It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And so as weird as this may seem, it's very powerful and challenging for all of us today. And it's powerful and challenging because we actually need to follow the footsteps of John. Simply put, there is nothing that will satisfy and transform us in life than the word of God, than God's word. That's what this image is showing us. John isn't eating paper, okay? When I was a kid, I heard this story, and I'm like, that is ridiculous to eat a scroll. But it carries with it the weight of the idea that he is tasting the richness and sweetness of God's word. He is savoring God's word, and his soul is being nourished by it because that's what happens when you eat something, right? Your body knows what to do with it. It takes the good stuff out. It rejects the bad, and it takes that good stuff to do what? To nourish your body. And so here we see him eating the scroll so that it can nourish his soul, body and soul together. This image is showing us that in order for us to savor and taste the sweetness of Scripture, we must slow down and take it in. You see, a lot of times we love to eat at favorite restaurants. Have you, you probably have a favorite place to go and a favorite food. Uh, and so when you eat that favorite food, it's, it's way better when you have time, right? When you sit down and you enjoy that meal, you enjoy the food, you spend time with it. And yet, often, as much as we would like to do that, what do we opt for instead? The fast food line, don't we? I don't have time to enjoy this food that's about to nourish my body. I don't have time for this, so I'm going to opt for something a little faster in life. Listen, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to Scripture, what do we do often? We opt for the fast route, don't we? I don't have time to actually get into His Word. I don't really... Honestly, it's, I just think it's suggestions anyway, so I'm not going to really take my time to read it or to di- digest it. And so we opt for the fast food route. We maybe listen to one little verse or we go a little slower, faster through it, whatever the case may be, instead of really slowing down and taking the time to digest what God has for us in his word. So listen, the purpose of Scripture is to both satisfy us and transform us. God did not give us his word as a suggestion. He gave us his word to bring satisfaction and also transformation to our lives. God's word satisfies us. Let's let's talk about that for a second. God's word satisfies us, but the problem with our who we are as individuals Okay, so you may agree with that. You may be like, yes, God's word does satisfy me. When I read it, it's great. And when we don't read it, we feel it. Are you with me? Like, I feel that. Those seasons in life where I'm far away and I, and I don't really read as much as I should, I can feel it in life. And yet, when I'm engaged with it, when I, it's there every single day, I can feel that as well. I feel a different sense of satisfaction in life. But what happens is, is that our hearts are deceitful And our hearts end up wanting to satisfy the Trinity. 
not the Godhead Trinity, but what Eugene Peterson refers to as the Trinity of needs, wants, and feelings. Because our hearts are deceitful, our default setting is to satisfy our needs, our wants, and our feelings. And I really like how he defines these, okay? And so he defines my needs are my non-negotiables, and they often include fulfillment, sexual satisfaction, and respect. And so listen, our deceitful hearts tell us that if we only have our needs met, then we will be satisfied. Next, he defines our wants as evidence of my expanding sense of self, and they often require more and more things, services, and power. And so again, our deceitful hearts tell us that if our wants are met, then we will be satisfied. And next, he defines our feelings as the truth of who I am, and I am in constant need of validation to combat boredom, loss, or discontentment. Again, our deceitful hearts tell us that what I feel is validated, then I will be satisfied. This is what our heart desires. It defaults to. And it's also what our culture preys on, doesn't it? Think about the world we live in. They're constantly coming at you with your needs, with your wants, and with your desires. Not according to God's word, but according to the world. So the question is, is what do we do about that? Well, I think we need to listen to God's word and follow what Jesus says in John chapter 6. Look at what Jesus says in John 6. John says, Jesus says, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. So what is Jesus even saying here? Because it's kind of weird. He just said, I'm the bread of life, okay? And so what he's talking about here, he's, he's really teaching us that true satisfaction in life comes from him. The fact that he is our true satisfaction in life. And so if you caught in there in the first part of the verse, he referenced the Old Testament back to Exodus again, where Israel was in the wilderness and God provided and gave them everything they needed to be satisfied in their bodies. He gave them manna every day. He gave them the ability to eat every day in this wilderness. He gave them water as well, but we can't get into all of that. And so God provided and gave them satisfaction in the wilderness. Now Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm the one who now gives provision and also satisfaction in your life. Jesus is telling us that he is the one who gives us spiritual life now and eternal life later. And where do we read this? We read this in God's word, don't we? If we digest the promises of Scripture, the promises like Jesus giving us his life for us, the promise like Jesus resurrecting three days later, and the promise of life now and life eternal, if we digest these promises, I promise you, you will be satisfied. But I also am going to tell you, you're going to feel that dichotomy of our hearts wanting to satisfy those wants, needs, and desires, and feelings, but you're also going to feel Jesus saying, no, listen, you need me. I am your portion. I am your provision. I am what will satisfy you, truly satisfy your soul in this world. And so you're going to feel that tension in all of life. 
if we digest these promises, we will be satisfied. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We find righteousness in Jesus and in his word. You see, uh, recently, my, I had a daughter recently. So we have five kids right now. That's a madhouse. It's crazy at my house. And honestly, I, I wasn't ready. I had no idea. I was like, I'm a champ at this. I already have tons of kids. What's another one? I, I was wrong. <laughs> I was 100% wrong. And, and you know what happened? All of a sudden, I started feeling this just separation from Jesus. I started feeling this idea of, like, I can't do this on my own. And it was really causing me to, to kind of run in a direction that wasn't healthy for me personally, as a father and a husband and a pastor, at all. And you know what I had to do? I had to run back to his word to then bring satisfaction to my soul. And I kept running back to Psalm 73, 26, which says, my flesh and my heart may fail. And listen, I was failing. My flesh was failing, my my body was failing, my heart was failing, I was deceitful, it was going toward those needs and those wants and those feelings, I was forgetting what Psalm 73, 26 says. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength of my heart and my portion. That word portion brings with it the idea of of digesting him, and he brings that satisfaction forever. And so I had to embrace that. I had to run back to that time and time again in my life. Listen, God's word does satisfy us in our darkest moments. I promise you that. And so rather than running to things ourselves, rather than running to ourselves, rather than running to the words of the world, we can run right to what God has for us. God's word satisfies but also transforms us. It also transforms us. Look at what Romans 12, 2 shows us. It shows us what transformation looks like. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, which, by the way, is a huge statement, okay? And so if you're struggling with that, uh, just listen to Paul. He says, but let God transform you into a new creation. How is he going to do that? By the way you think, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so when we read that verse, we ask the question, how are we transformed by God changing the way we think? How do we change the way we think? By learning God's will for you. And how do you learn God's will for you? By meditating, digesting his word. And so literally transformation, Paul's talking to Christians here, so he already understands they have this heart transformation, but he's saying, listen, you have to run to God's word because not only is God going to change your heart, he's also going to change the way you think, your thought processes. Maybe you've experienced that in life where you were living one way and thinking one way, but yet Jesus enters your life and you've had an experience with him and all of a sudden your, your thought process is different. And it comes through the word of God. I asked some of the chapel staff to share a time when God's word alone changed them. And I want to just highlight these two responses. The first response, this person said, I hated this man that recklessly took my brother's life. I wanted him to go to prison and never come out. I wanted him to know 
what he took from me. Then God spoke to me in my anguish and said, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I gave it all to God, my anger, my sadness, my loss, and I forgave this man for what happened. Do you see what one verse can do to someone's anger, to someone's sadness, loss, all of it? One verse transformed the way they thought and the, the way they lived in this life. Another, another one. I was a fairly new Christ follower. At my work, management was tough on us. Some of you can relate. I felt like any time the manager came to talk to you, it was because you weren't doing right. Then I came across Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. For the first time in my life, I realized my job was a way to serve Jesus. This changed how I viewed my job and my manager. Life-changing, life-altering. It changed the way I thought. It changed the way I lived. Life-altering, one passage of Scripture. And that's what can happen time and time again. I could tell you multiple personal stories, like I've already told you, but that's what God has promised. Through his word, he transforms our minds. And so we see a few of these things happening. And so before we move on to this verse, I want to ask you, When is the last time you took the time to digest the word of God and to allow the sweetness of it to transform who you are and the way you think? When is the last time you read God's word and you allowed it to transform who you are personally and also the way you think in life? It's a good question to walk away with today. Now, not only is Scripture's sweet, but we also see another aspect of Scripture. It's in verse 10. And so I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it, and it was sweet in my mouth. But when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. It goes from sweet to bitter because of what verse 11 says. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. It moves from sweet to bitter because John is told to go share God's word with others. It's sweet because it reveals the gospel. It reveals God's mercy, his grace, his love, his goodness. It's bitter because it's bitter because it also is a word of judgment and to unbelievers and persecution and suffering to believers. So when we read the Bible, we don't just see the good things of God. God is all good. We don't just see his love, his grace, his goodness, and his mercy. We also see the fact of judgment and also suffering and persecution. We see some of those things that in our human mindsets don't sound fun, do they? And so all of a sudden, it turns a little bitter in our stomach, like, man, this is what I'm reading. This is hard to digest. And that's what bitter things are. They're hard to digest. And so when we read scripture, it's hard to digest, but also we know that people are not going to respond favorably to those things, such as judgment and persecution and suffering. We know people aren't going to respond favorably to them, and you can relate to this, I can relate to this. When we read and digest the scripture, it's sweet to us, it jumps off the page, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I read scripture and it just, 
it, the sweetness of it just jumps off the page to me. But to someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, it's not going to sound that way. It's not going to seem that way. It's going to be bitter. And so a lot of times it's bitter to us because we know they're probably not going to respond well to this. Have you ever tried to share scripture with a family member who was not receptive to it? It didn't go well, did it? Have you ever tried to share with a friend who you knew was hostile to God and to Jesus? Probably didn't go well. Or you didn't do it because you were too worried about what was going to happen. You see, the bitterness of Scripture is real. It's there. It's something that we have to embrace. But we cannot allow the bitterness of Scripture. We cannot allow the bitterness of Scripture to stop us from sharing the sweetness of it, can we? Even though we read those bitter moments of Scripture, the sweetness of it overtakes that bitterness in people's lives. And we need to follow the footsteps of John and prophesy and share it with those around us. I think all of us in here need to embrace Psalm 34, 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. It should be our desire for others to taste and see that the Lord is good through the sweetness of his word, even though it may be a bitter moment in your life. And so we saw a different image today. We saw this idea of this messenger coming down with this scroll in hand. By God's grace, he gave that scroll, and John ate it. He tasted the sweetness of it. He tasted the bitterness of it. And we need to follow in John's footsteps. So two questions to leave you with today. Two questions. Are you allowing the sweetness of Scripture to satisfy and transform you? Only you can answer that in your life. And then, can I give some suggestions as well? There's a lot of things in life where we read a little passage and then we read a really long devotional by someone else. I highly suggest get rid of the devotional and just go to God's word for a while. Allow his word to speak for itself in your life. I promise you, it's going to transform you, okay? Are you allowing the sweetness of Scripture to transform who you are and the way you think? Second question, when is the last time you've shared the sweetness of Scripture to someone even though you knew it was going to be a bitter moment in life? And so I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about your friends, your coworkers, those people whom are closest to you who need to hear the sweetness of the gospel, the sweetness of God's love, the sweetness of his grace and his mercy, the sweetness of Jesus coming to this earth, giving his life for you and for me, and then resurrecting three days later. Who in your life needs to hear the sweetness of his word? And I challenge you, go share it with them. Somehow, some way. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be perfect. But just pray that God would use you in your life. The sweetness and bitterness of Scripture. And honestly, I am so thankful God gave us his word. Because it truly satisfies and it truly transforms. Let's pray.
God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. God, that you have revealed yourself through your son and you also your word. God, I pray that we would embrace it in such a way that we would allow the sweetness of it to transform us, but yet we would also share that sweetness with other people. God, I pray that you would just work in our lives, help us to continue one step, to move one step closer to you and others through your son, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.